Hello, I'm Jeffrey Penanera. And I'm Andres Guzman. And you're listening to Film Q. Welcome back for our third episode. Uh, a couple amendments from last week. This is going to be a recurring segment, it seems. But we forgot to mention the name of uh, my friend who does the music. His name is Kevin Matos, but he goes by Emperor Bohe when he makes his music. And that track is called Locos. And uh, check him out on his SoundCloud and his website, emperorbohe.com. Great stuff on there. And I want to thank him again for uh, helping us with the music. Also, somehow we forgot to mention Orson Welles in our Mount Rushmore episode. I was like looking at other movies, and then I, I saw people, and I also saw like people talking about Citizen Kane. And I was like, how the fuck did we not mention Citizen Kane once? Right. Let's just establish that maybe we have those four directors at Mount Rushmore, and Orson Welles is just the Statue of Liberty. He's his own entity. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the beacon that guides us on our way especially you you went like you went on a whole thing about uh hitchcock helping like make the cinematic language and it's like i'm pretty sure citizen kane like fucking well i feel like kicked it like into it all hitchcock i feel like if we're gonna like put it in layman's terms i guess because it's not literal i mean there's hundreds of directors who helped establish these things but if we're gonna put it in this way maybe hitchcock formulated a lot of that language and Orson Welles uh, took it and coalesced it into this singular being and used it all. I thought in I said layman's King. terms. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in my layman's terms, not uh, that makes me sound so pretentious. Anyway, he basically with Citizen Kane, he coalesced all that knowledge and put it into one film and showed this is cinema, right? This is what cinema can do that other mediums can't because you have, like, documentary-style footage. You have flashbacks. You have fucking... It's ridiculous. Right. Um, I also want to mention that I will... I'm okay with the answers that I had last week, but if I were to have a second chance at changing my options, I'd probably switch it up and go with... uh, George Millet, Orson Welles, Francois Truffaut, and I keep Steven Spielberg. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Speaking of Spielberg, what did we watch this week? Um, before we start talking about what we saw, I wanted to mention uh, earlier today I saw Mean Earl and the Dying Girl, and I adore it. Which I've heard is incredibly divisive. I don't know who are these people. I want to read their <laughs> reviews afterwards, but I adored it. I thought it was great. I thought um, just a little quick, quick uh, review of it. I, the director did interesting work with it. Um, it's in limited release right now. If you get a chance, I think you should watch it. But uh, we'll see. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna end up catching that one. There's a lot of movies I want to see before it. Oh yeah. But um. But what's not in limited release and uh is jurassic world oh, yeah. yeah you actually were telling me earlier today about how your theater where you work has like apparently is anticipating huge crowds for that yeah okay so i worked a, a, um, a bit over eight hours on opening day yesterday uh on, on and it was hectic and it was insane and I also worked the entire opening weekend of Avengers, and it was not even that bad during Avengers. It was chaotic. That's what blows my mind. I feel like there was so much anticipation going to Avengers that a lot of those things you were telling me would have been established then. Like yeah, opening the doors of, at, what, 9 a.m., you said? Yeah, so um, there are people, some of my coworkers are opened uh, Saturday and Sunday, 
at 9, I believe. Like, doors are opening around 9 in the morning. Our first showings were around 9.45. Jeez. It's, like, unheard of. It's usually, what, first noon? Noon. Uh, some days, like, 11.30, but, like, yeah. rarely before. Generally that. around noon, yeah. Um, so, I saw Jurassic World with my coworkers. Usually, with these big movies, sometimes our managers like to set what, what they call a cast screening. And typically, it's after the release day and after doors are closed, we go into the theater and there's not many people show up, but some of us show up and we just, it's a small group of us and we watch the movie, but I had shown up um, for right after doors closed and there was bags of popcorn on the floor. There was just like kernels all over the place. Having worked so long that day, it was, I can, I can attend to it. It was, it felt like we survived a war. Like everybody <laughs> just was distraught all night. I can't believe there's I mean I can because a lot I know a lot of people who have like very strong emotional connections to the original film not so much the sequels but uh it still blows my mind that Jurassic World is the film that broke your theater essentially yeah I um I just recently looked it up and according to a few numbers from a uh, box office mojo it says they made 82 million first day first day Jesus Apparently, I'm a guess. I think that might include the the Thursday night showings. I'm not entirely sure, yeah. but it, but from from what I saw, it it said uh, it, it said eighty two million, which is like I I believe it said that the first number one was uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, <laughs> and then Age of Ultron and now Jurassic World. Yeah, see, so Age of Ultron didn't have that massive. I guess uh, maybe it was just was my theory. Anyway, so did the film deserve that sort of, uh, that much box office, I guess? That sort of business? I don't know if it did. I, I'll i go straight on the record, first of all, and say I had a lot of fun and I liked watching it. I don't know if it deserved that much money. <laughs> well, okay. That's, I, much I shouldn't have framed the question. Yeah, because if that were the case, I'd be like, no, no. <laughs> give that money to Mad Max. I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, just more money for Mad Max. Um, that's a good uh, mantra. More money for Mad Max. <laughs> but I do think it deserved it. It is a... Okay, let's reframe the question. Did you like it? I did. I I did. Even, like, th- the beginning was a bit slow, but... Uh, not slow enough, I felt. I'm like, in the original Jurassic Park, it takes, what, almost half an hour to get a good look at a dinosaur, and it plays beautifully, and this movie kind of rushes through all that, just like... It does, but I, I meant, like, uh, the first one, quickly, like, you start off on the island, right? No, you start off... Do you start off on the island? You start off with the island with the... the they, like, lower the cow... Oh yeah, the rapture sequence. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it, that's it's, almost like a prologue. It's all kind of hidden, but like with this one, uh, we start off with the kids at at their parents' house, getting ready to leave to the airport. Which is actually that's. I mean, I f- feel like a lot of people have been saying how Colin Trevorrow is very much aping or homaging uh, Steven Spielberg style in the early Amblin. And I f- oh yeah, yeah, totally. But that's the only sequence I felt. Other than some specific shots of the film that really captured that Amblin vibe, the family and the household and stuff. Um, I, I can I can see that and the relationship between the mom and the, the kids. I didn't. I wasn't really Judy Greer totally I invested. I was. I liked Judy Greer. I was hoping she I would have had Judy more. Greer. Yeah, that's the thing. rule of thumb for your movie: more Judy Greer. That's it. <laughs> she only has what my friend actually called it. He's like, 
because in the trailer they show uh, her tearful goodbye to her kids. And he's like, she's gonna have two scenes: her saying goodbye and one at the end where she's crying because they're safe. Okay, well, they're, and she has one more. They added one more. They caught us off guard. One to uh, reinforce that she's worried. <laughs> um. Anyway, future filmmakers, more Judy Greer, please. You can never have enough. So I felt like when they finally were on their way to to the island for the first time, I, f- I believe they had like some of the original uh, theme going on, and it felt yeah. like we were going back to its roots. So I was kind of... I felt like it was trying to convey that, but... I'm not, I'm not saying I think it did, but, I, but like, like you're saying, like I do think that was the intention of what it was trying to build up to. Yeah, I saw the intention. I just don't think it was ultimately successful. And I mean, a lot of that kind of... It's weird, because the film is thematically conscious of what it is, of how it's a studio Super production. Super meta. Yes. Mm. There's a, Except I, I don't feel like it ever... Um, basically transcends that in the sense that it's yes it's, it's aware that it's a studio it's just creation. kind of like up there but it's never yeah it's on it's addressed. on its mind but it still is a studio production right it never becomes more than that as it's almost a little it's not even really a thematic concern it just brings it up it's like yes we know we're kind of a hollywood well i mean even uh I think they're just calling it vacation, but like the new remake, reboot. Oh yeah, conti- totally aware. Whatever. There's a line that's pretty similar to the one in Jurassic World, where it's just like, uh, it doesn't matter. It's gonna live up to it to its same name. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you've seen the first one. But in this one, uh, you have uh, Jake Johnson. I have no idea who that is. The the guy with the shirt. <laughs> oh, the guy, the, the guy with the dress, vintage Jurassic Park. Yeah, shirt. and he like. Um, who has my favorite scene in the movie? I think. When like Bryce Dallas Howard's like asking uh question like questions about all the stuff on his desk, and he just like turns, he's like, "But the first park is legit." Yeah, <laughs> and they're kind of like referencing it, yeah. and it's always kind of that's the thing. There. It's on the mind, but I, ultimately, I think it's doesn't. It's still a studio production, right? Yeah, like it doesn't ever. It's never. It's not a true concern because by the end of it, it's not saying anything about it be it being a studio production it just becomes one and never it's, it's weird it's not fully connected because i felt there was although it's, it's fucking riddled with homage to the first one the, like the, down to the character arcs <laughs> even the 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 jeep that they find that's 22 years old and they fix within <laughs> five minutes yeah those kids are gonna be freaking expert mechanics i like i like the film but that so there, when I watched the movie, there was about ten of us in the theater. It's just me and my coworkers, and so we we do this from time to time, and we kind of like yell out things about the movie when as it happens. Yeah. Uh, so during that part is when I like I, I yelled at I was like, "Oh come on! Like I can't!" <laughs> I was like, "I can't believe that you guys fucking brought dinosaurs back to life! I can't believe you fixed up a car, which was apparently it's the same car that Hammond drove from yeah. the helicopter." In the first one, it's funny because the f- original Jurassic Park is full of moments where logically they make no sense if you look at them from at a distance. Yeah, but Spielberg is so is such a master that you he has a sleight of hand that you just don't notice them, right? Like the uh, one example that I always remember and read up about is the T Rex attack, how it climbs out of the 
the fence, you know. It's right, in, his, it's the first team? Yeah. They establish, like, he climbs over the fence, but then later on they establish there's, like, a 40-foot drop. It's like, how did it get in? But you don't, you're not even conscious of that because emotionally you're so invested in what's going on. Yeah. I don't feel Colin Trevorrow has the chops to uh, uh, point you in another direction so you don't notice these things. The, 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 when he has the flaws in the scenes like, like this one where it, it's so clear that it happens, I... It's like it's so much easier to pick up on versus the like anything Spielberg does, mm-hmm. but I don't really. I I guess that's comparing, uh, a f- like a new filmmaker to Steven Spielberg. It's kind of unfair. Yeah. It- um, but with like I can't get uh, over that scene because they're fixing up this twenty-two-year-old car. It drives off, and about five seconds later, Owen and Claire show up and fix their own car, right? No, they don't fix the other car. Oh, no, the, the dinosaur attacks. Yeah, and then the dinosaur shows up. Yeah. So it's like, you're telling me that they fixed the car, and then if they took an extra, like, five seconds, then both <laughs> the Indominus Rex and Owen and Claire would have all been in the same place? <laughs> Come on! Straight dead. <laughs> that's, that's how the movie would have just ended right there. Um, I guess, yeah, it's unfair to compare them, but when, when he's so clearly homaging a master... I feel like it's not even worth it to do unless you can do it. And but, he's what? He had oh, one movie before this one? Yeah, he has Safety Not Guaranteed. Which I haven't seen that. Too. I really like. Uh, yeah. I think you should check it out. I'm also. You, uh, Jake Johnson's in it. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, Mark Duplass. Um, they're all great. I follow most of their like film work that they do and I enjoy them and stuff. So I think that might be part of it because yeah. they're in like a number of indie films where they're just like hanging out with friends it seems like so it feels more real but I I really like that one and he brought like Jake Johnson in this and he's hilarious in this movie um but this movie like constantly tries to for, like for the studio making it is constantly trying to up what was made before yeah and again the movie's aware of this I mean it has that shot where that uh, aquatic dinosaur eats the shark, and it's almost a commentary on you know modern blockbusters totally yeah. having to outdo the and then blockbusters uh, of yesteryear. I wanted to touch on that scene as well because it, once it goes back into the water, uh, the audience gets like submerged. Yeah, the seats go under, and then it they're looking into the water, but the way the water plays a reflection, and then they show everybody sitting down their seats. It looked like a movie theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that. And it's a reflection of us, huh? Yeah, and it totally reminded me of what... Uh, Didn't we bring this up in the last episode? Did I? We were, or with somebody. I was talking Inglorious Bastards. Oh, I think we did mention yeah, some yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. when like, we saw the... The German film. Yeah, Nation's Pride. I yeah. looked up the, the name of the yeah, short okay. film. <laughs> I still don't know. It was Eli Roth. Uh, okay. Uh, but you know your fact times. There's a, but that scene entirely reminded me of like the final shot of Wolf of Wall Street. Another, yeah, another. Which one. is also, but that's more of a, f- yeah. So you think he's pointing it, the finger at it's us? Kind saying, of, it's you kind of. You want this? It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I guess so. It's just, I guess it's. I think like except, maybe Wolf of Wall Street might be a little bit more despicable. See, the thing is, in a way, Wolf of Wall Street's ultimately building to that point, right? So it means something. I feel like in this film, it comes very early that shot. 
and again all that thematic stuff where it's concerned comes very early and i feel like just the film just forgets it and by the end of the movie i don't know because i just saw it this uh morning right by the way so i'm still formulating my thoughts on it although i can say because i haven't said actually yet i it's a hard question i don't like it i think (laughs) i mean it's not bad the thing is hollywood's gotten really good at making okay blockbusters like nothing egregiously wrong with them but they just sort of we're also talking about like us the fourth film in a franchise that was started by something as great uh, as Jurassic Park. Yeah. I guess, like, comparing it, like, even though you might not want to, like, it's kind of hard to not compare it to it. Yeah, but, again, when the movie itself is comparing itself, you have to kind of, right? Yeah. Instead of, it's, instead of almost throwing out the book and just being its own thing, which I feel like most remakes reboots should just do it it's too beholden to the original yeah well they, there's that even that scene like going back to the to the car where they go back to the original uh park and then they find the banner that falls yeah. on the t-rex before and then they light it on fire with matches. <laughs> use it as a torch doesn't like, really mean anything it's just like remember the banner yeah cool because all it. fucking kids have matches on them <laughs> yeah, in their fanny packs Oh, yeah. By the way, speaking of the kids, third, I think my biggest problem with this movie, because in the original film, again, oh god, I'm drawing comparisons, but if you're going to have two kids, you have to, right? Well, it's even the same, like, um, the the boy is the one who, in the original, was the one who was, like, fascinated with all the dinosaurs, meanwhile, the girl didn't really care. Yeah, and she was the older one, and the older one, this one, just doesn't care either. But again, it's kind the, of a douche. I loved him in <laughs> Kings douchey. of Summer, but, like, in here, I'm just like, come on. Yeah, he's, that's the thing, he ha- I don't get what their arcs are supposed to be i feel like in the original movie the kids are more central right and they're more than just tools to have us that's, empathize that's with their kind fear of, you know that's also I mean? kind of because like in the first one they're they all go to the island together mm-hmm. right but in this one it's we have like two three different like povs into the story so we're like mm-hmm. all over the place even though Two of them are kind of connected, but it's still all over the yeah, place. Yeah, they take a while, actually, I feel like, their story con- to connect with Bryce Dallas Howard. Who I feel like she is actually the main driving force of the film, despite what trailers would indicate, which oh, would yeah. say Chris yeah. Pratt, even though Chris Pratt's more of an ancillary character. And um, speaking of which, one thing I really don't like about this movie is that it reduces Chris Pratt to being kind of boring. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I call him boring. I thought it was... He's a- just... Boring in the sense that he's well, just a, a the, typical... Like the scene where, they, where he's called a badass, I was I was like, I, I was nodding my head and everybody in my theater was like, yes, yeah, but yes I mean, you are. We've seen that kind of character before. And yeah, Chris Pratt can pull it off. And I don't want to put Chris Pratt into a box. Uh, he wasn't, how many more times can I say Chris Pratt? But I mean, he wasn't I don't want to put him into a box. A, like, not a joke, but he wasn't yeah. as... He, he, he wasn't Star-Lord, which I was kind of expecting him to be. Because yeah. there's a there's the scene where he's like uh talking about like you know how animals have all these these feelings and that clip was shown before like a few i think a month ago or a few weeks ago and there was a huge backlash against it kind of like they were trying to say it was like some sexist thing oh Uh, when she goes up to him in his like trailer yeah yeah well it's just because joss whedon people took that out out of context but oh not out of context just misunderstood what he was saying it's that it's not that it's 
sexist so much as that we've seen these characters before where the woman is just uptight, cold-hearted, logical, or whatever. And she's so blinded by work, she's basically forsaken all her emotions, which is this horrible, stereotypical character. And again, we can have these characters because all feminism really argues is we just need more representation of all these other types of uh, women that exist in the world, right? They're not Madonna or a whore kind of thing, right? And so we can have a character like Bryce Dallas Howard's character in this film. It's just that we've seen so much of her, it's getting tiring, right? We can write better characters. It was just that... Remember when that when I saw the clip for the first time, I was like, I cringed a little, and I was just like, this is weird. But then it was like, that's the only scene in the movie where it's kind of like, plays out like that, and her character gets better as she goes. The thing I don't like about her character is, again, t- tying into what I just said, is that she's so focused on work. It's the film almost feels like it's this retrograde idea that. If a woman focuses on work, she's abandoning her mothering instinct, right? She's even says she's not thinking of having kids. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. And I feel like Judy Greer's character, when she comes in the middle, that her third scene or whatever, second scene, is all maybe originally written to counteract that because they're showing Judy Greer at work. Yeah. And she's also concerned about her kids. So okay. So like you can have both kind of thing. But it plays so quickly and it focuses more on uh, Claire, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, not wanting kids and being so detached from her own nephews what it's it's weird because she's like even though she's detached to her own nephews which uh i I remember there's the scene where owen asks like how old his her nephews are and she doesn't remember their age she doesn't know the age and i remember turning to one of to to one of my friends and i was like this scene could have hit harder i was like that that line because it's just like it's kind of like oh yeah she doesn't know she's not the best aunt and, and whatever and and it just kind of like blows past and i was like i feel like they could have uh used that a little bit better but as an uncle i think i can relate to not knowing your oh i know i i've i've exact I've, ages. I have cousins and like they're around four ish <laughs> he's in high school so uh, yeah, they're this big um, um there was one scene that made uh me and all my friends, all my coworkers, uh, laugh out loud and scream like yes. Uh, whenever when all shit's finally going loose, and we have, uh, and they're and the two kids are like in the the gyroscope, yeah. they called it, and they're going away, and then the the worker at the park gets the call saying like to shut it down, yeah, and he has to yell out like I'm sorry for the inconvenience, and he starts giving that speech. And all the guests start to complain, and he just like yells back. He's like, "Guys, this is just my job." Yeah, and yeah. We're, oh, that character. Yeah, he's. Yeah. Me and my buddy laughed too because he's like, he's the most genuine feeling character because we all know that guy who's like that yeah. teenage. Like, yeah, it's he's at a theme park. It's just this teenager. He's just doing his job. He's even at a theme park with living dinosaurs. He's bored and he just wants to get through the day. See, and that's work like me and my friends who had just worked a really long day and like was super hectic and i i can tell you right now i had a lot of guests give the most ridiculous complaints about some stuff and i was like i'm just kind of standing there i'm like this is out of my hand this is (laughs) i just make the food i was like i can't do this i'm sorry (laughs) yeah that's actually the one point in the film that i feel like actually came to life where I felt, oh, there's a human in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. What did you think about 
the CGI. I there were some I noticed some like animatronics. I think the brontosaurus, the dead brontosaurus. I think, but the fact that I'm having so much trouble figuring out what was. I want to say that was especially because like that's such a another homage to the yeah. original. But I'm trying to figure out is the the when the Indominus Rex first breaks out and he's like uh and owen is underneath the car yeah and you have the and Thomas rex is like next to the car and it's like looking was that cgi electronic oh i guess it's a testament to cgi that it's gone good enough to the point where it always in yeah in instances it is kind of indiscernible but there's also so much of it that it's you just start tuning it out you're not you're not wowed by it anymore. Like, again, Jurassic Park is often considered still the best use of CGI, right? Because they perfectly blended uh, practical and then the Yeah, CGI. and then the first big CGI shot you get is the first time we ever see those the, the dinosaurs full hand, like in the full scale with the brontosaurus and the soaring score comes in and you're just totally taken aback. And the beauty of that moment is that it focuses on Laura Derns and... Uh, uh, the other guy's guy. <laughs> Fuck, what's his name? Sam Neill? Yeah, Sam Neill's faces, right? Yeah. And you just see their wonder. And that's that's the Spielberg empathetic shot. element, right? That's Spielberg. And that's what I feel this film is missing. It's just CGI noise and you're expected to be wowed by it, I guess. I don't know. Well, I guess if like that kind of plays with how you might have felt when they brought the original T-Rex back in. I actually thought that reveal was pretty okay. I mean, you see the eyes. It starts with the eyes, the glowing the eyes, the doors. Well, it starts with the door opening. And the glowing the eyes. And does the score come in at that point? I can't remember. But I just know. It was, I, th- I think it might have been silent just for the impact of yeah. the, the footsteps. I know. I that I definitely felt like that scene was working more than some of the other homages. Or Actually, because it's not even really an homage. And I think so that's why it works. Because it's playing on our knowledge, but it's its own thing saying oh shit here she goes she's gonna fucking save the day without being such a deus ex machina she is sort of in the first film but it's awesome yeah Yeah. uh so yeah ultimately it worked but again the whole film as a whole is so flat that i don't i was i didn't care for it i guess that's my ultimate stance on it what do you think about the the final battle though it's kind of, kind of cool. my buddy who is a huge Jurassic Park fan. He's like the biggest. He's like, at least I got to see something I always wanted to see. I'm like, what? T Rex fighting another dinosaur? Like, no, T Rex teaming up with a little raptor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I might have to check again, but I'm pretty sure it was like either designed or it was like a one take shot huh? as they started from one end uh, yeah, and then I know, went I know what all the way around. About. Yeah, which then led up to. The big gator thing, whatever the fuck it's yeah, called. I, in the my aquatic notes, dinosaur. Yeah, in my notes, I called it a whale. Because <laughs> right now, the I, furthest possible thing from a dinosaur. I have a question mark to make me check up on it. I never <laughs> did my research. Good job. Um, <laughs> but it like all came back to that reveal, and actually, now I think about it, that is sort of the Deus Ex Machina. That, oh, that is, but that like, is the tie into the T Rex coming out of nowhere. I think I'm, but I'm, I think I'm fine with it. Like it was just those moments where I was just like, this is so cool because it. It's also a monster film more than 
Maybe Godzilla guy. was. Ooh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I mean that in the sense of uh, just more monsters. No, it's it's just like that Jack, that final fight in the in the recent Godzilla film. Yeah, and it was just like that's what I kind of thought of when I was watching the the big finale. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and I saw so I saw the connection. So when it was the uh, when it was that one shot where the Dominus is by the by the edge. And then you had the T-Rex, and you had the Velociraptor, and they're both just, like, waiting for the next move. And I'm just yeah. like, shit's about to go down. And then I realize he's on the edge, the gate's yeah. broken, and I was just like, oh, shit. Oh, you knew Let's it. You do saw this. it I knew I saw it coming, and then it happened, and it was, we yeah. cheered. Yeah. We, we cheered. cheered. No. no, my favorite was after the fight where the Raptor and the T-Rex look at each other. My buddy's like... Just call me when you need me. <laughs> yeah, and then he leaves. And then there's like, there's almost a head nod between yeah, the exactly. I was expect- and Chris Pratt. Exactly, I was expecting that. It's like, oh, he's going to give him a nod. <laughs> but no, I kept waiting and it just, it, yeah, it was close enough, I'll allow it. Yeah. Um, last week you you talked about Spy and its final image being like the... Kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, what did you think of the final shot in this? The T-Rex reclaiming the park, right? Yeah. Um... I feel like the shots again. It's the T Rex reclaiming the park, so it's against the whole genetic modification thing about uh, naturalism and stuff. So I guess it works, but and my friend was totally wowed by it. Again, I only bring him up because he's literally the biggest Jurassic Park fan. But I don't know. For me, it's just again like the rest of the film is just super flat. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I find myself struggling to speak about this movie because there's so little to grasp for me. Like, there's clearly it has things on its mind, but it doesn't have the attention span to stick with it. Yeah. It's never. It's in the area, but it never, like, grasps it properly. Yeah, it's never saying anything about those thoughts. It just has them. It, it's like it's its themes are trying to be, like, an amalgamation of all the previous themes and all the other films. Yeah. I mean, I will, it's clever, but it's never more than that, you know what I mean? It's clever, but it's not smart, I guess is how I would put it. Maybe it wants to be clever, but then there's like points in it where it, even though it's trying, it can still, it will stop itself and be like, fuck it, we're a movie about dinosaurs, let's throw some on the screen anyway. Which is okay, it's still dinosaurs. I guess it works for you, it doesn't work for me as much. I was always more of a space guy. <laughs> uh, back to that first episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to bring out 2001 in every single episode, I hope you know. It's weird, because I don't even... I don't like saying I have a favorite movie, and that's just kind of my go-to answer. But, yeah, 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's transition now into our question of the week, unless you had something more to say about Jurassic World. No, I think we we covered it. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, would you recommend it? I think so. I think it's it, it's it's still a dinosaur movie that's a lot of fun, and it, it it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cheer. Where's well, it? Make, where's well, it fall in the in the quadrilogy for you? Second or third? I mean, how's it, how's your ranking? Tell. I, I, I need Jurassic re- Park at the top. Jurassic Park. The fir- no, no, number three is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park. I want to rewatch Lost World because I know Spielberg did that one as well. Yeah, uh, it's okay. It's a, kind of a bit of a mess. So, 
Um, so, but I don't care for the third one at all. So third one's yeah, fourth. Because I think I care about the third one more than I do the second one. Well, yeah, for me it's Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park three, Lost World, and then World. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't. It's just my mantra is never hate a movie, and I don't hate this one. Obviously, I just I don't even dislike it so much as there's since it's such a nothing movie to me that that's almost worse. Fortunately, I think that's how I felt about Focus this year. Oh, okay, I'm not. I'm never gonna watch Focus, <laughs> so I, I'll have never have any. I mean, there, there's Margot Robbie, so that's. I'll just put on Wolf of Wall Street again. <laughs> yeah, that'll. Be, that'll be, I'll I'll look at behind the scenes pictures of uh, Suicide Squad. That'll do. Yeah, yeah, behind the scenes. Um. Anyway, so let's now transition into our question of the week, which is Andres. Um. So, I found this question through uh, AMC Movie Talk, which I think is interesting and fascinating. They talk about new stuff every once in a while you can find them on youtube um so the question is if you had if the world was ending and you only had enough time to watch one last film why is the world ending it's apocalypse right yeah that's what i'm going with uh because the way i'm imagining this is if uh as the movie is coming to a close we got buildings and yeah earthquakes just fucking earth is done it's (laughs) like there's it humanity is done why the world will be ending, and why we would choose to sit down and watch a movie. That's not relevant. What's yeah, relevant the time is, frame, you could choose as the the longest movie oh, yeah, in the world, no, and, the there's, movie, and the world will wait. There's no time limit. Like, <laughs> you can put on Titanic or, uh, I think, Shoah. I think, like, a nine-hour documentary really, really, about a holocaust. Really sad before you die. <laughs> you joked around about putting something really long, and then, uh, and then just, like, walking around. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not break our own rules here. You have to watch that movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, so if that was the case, and everything's coming to shit as you as the movie's ending, yes, what would you pick? I guess I'll kick off the. I think you always start, so I'll start this time. Or no, I think I started last year. Anyway, I'm going with No Country for Old Men, and it's weird. I've been struggling all week for this question just because nothing has popped out at me like as clearly as some of the other questions have like I feel I love No Country for Man and I feel it's completely appropriate because it has themes of death and almost bowing out of the material world and it's almost also about all the loose ends we leave after we die okay which is perfect and specifically that final dream and then the smash to black which is completely uh, appropriate for if the world's ending it's essentially a giant smash the black for humanity right yeah. so it's perfect and i feel that is the perfect encapsulation of the apocalypse or which is essentially just humanity's death right and all the things we left unfinished and that's what no country for old men is basically for me um again like i was struggling i was thinking maybe apocalypse now because it has that existential horror like going but that's more about Human- the darkness in humanity and what we're capable of but it's also you should do a two part you should watch that and Heart of Darkness oh, yeah. if it was possible <laughs> and um, it's also like three hours long so I'd have a long bit of a life left before the world ends and then the other one was Cloud Atlas because it's also about how your soul basically survives your body right how 
we are reincarnated into these other beings and other people and so it's a more hopeful ending for humanity okay but ultimately i don't and i guess in a very literal sense i don't believe in that like i believe in the in the sense of what you do will have ripples into the future and stuff but i'm dead once i'm dead i'm dead (laughs) (laughs) so it's more fatalistic more nihilistic so i have to go with no country for old men how about you I think it's a little funny and fascinating how like you had trouble with yours. Meanwhile, you I, had yours like instantly. I came up with my answer before I finished my Mount Rushmore decisions. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, so uh, I'm not gonna, sorry. I almost gave away your movie, but I know it's your like favorite movie. And No Country for Old Men is one of my it's like one top of my five favorites. favorite movies. Uh, I like it's so like even earlier you you going on about 2001. Like I have such trouble trying to figure out which ones are mine. Mm-hmm. But uh, before I get to it, like I think the other two, I have like two honorable mentions uh, that I almost chose that I think I, I might have chosen, and then in the middle of explaining about it, then I came up with the, the, my final answer, and I was like, that's the one. But I wanted to go with Fight Club or Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, Why Fight Club? Fight Club is. We'll probably have this discussion in a later it, episode, but we will, I'm we will not have a David Fincher episode because yeah. this. This other guy doesn't really agree with Fincher most of the time. Are you referring to me? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I am not. I like things he does. I haven't seen Zodiac, which is the one I feel it will convince me. But Fight Club, I didn't. It's just so confused. Curious Case of Benjamin Button is so confused. I'm not going to argue anything about Curious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, Alien 3 is noble. That's not fair. No, but Don't. I can't. That's the thing. Everyone, every David Fincher fan shits on Alien 3. And yet I'm like, you know what? Alien 3 is not that bad. Did you watch the work print version? <sighs> I think I watched the theatrical version. I usually watch the theatrical version. Is, is worse than the work print. Oh, so I might even like it even more. Anyway, or less, depending just, on how much you like Fincher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I just felt like his nihilistic, his misanthropic tendencies fit alien 3 better than they fit fucking everything else he does i mean uh, gone girl was amazing i love gone girl don't gonna, it, and it's he's having fun in that movie and it shows and it ties with his concerns but i don't know well we'll get into the discussion fight later. fight club uh i bought that on dvd back in like grade eight so it would have been 2006 2007 something like that and i remember watching it and when the movie ended, it was like the first DVD that I ever stopped and was like, okay, I'm going to watch this again. Yeah. And I just put it back from the beginning. My brother is the one who got me into Fight Club. Well, like, he showed me Fight Club because he had the DVD. And so I popped it on. And I, I've, obviously, as a teenager, I loved it. Right. Because the movie has the mind of a teenager and never grows up. <laughs> we'll have this discussion later, all right? Let's just, let's get into what so, movie you'd actually uh, pick. With I'm going with The Social Network interesting choice why um because it doesn't strike me as a last movie before you die movie it's really not which is why like i thought it'd be even more interesting to pick it because it's kind of going against it um it does highlight this fundamental difference we have in how we approach these questions typically i go try to tie it into the thematics and what does this movie mean to me and to the question at large where you as typically Go to more your more personal inclination. You know? Well, I'm connected to it. Uh, I 
like I said, I love Fincher, and I will maybe Zodiac and this one are the two films of his that I can I would consider being like the closest. Have you seen the director's? I'm gonna ask you a question on the air right now. Um, have you seen the director's cut of Zodiac? Don't. It's the only one on Blu-ray. I've been on DVD. Fuck. Because I want to know whether it's better to pick up the DVD and watch the original cut first or the director's cut. Anyway. No, actually. <laughs> answer me this off after. Um, but, uh, so, I've seen it, but Social Network and Zodiac, I think, are like the closest to maybe perfect he's gotten, in my opinion. Like, movies were like, I... I do love the Social Network, too. I do not see things, like, I... Like either I do not see things wrong with it, or they're so minimal that I don't even care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, even Zodiac. Well, there's something wrong. There's bad in every movie, but right. it's not. A, it's about what the movie is trying to do and whether it achieves its goals. Even Everything Zodiac else is just onto the side. Even Zodiac that runs at like almost three hours long, I believe. It, it's like yeah. I think it's paced so wonderfully well that you like you don't even feel it. Yeah. Uh, but with the social network, so I'm so connected to it. I've Dora, I, I've seen it, I can't count how many times, but I remember even I was when they announced it, like, oh yeah, we're going to do a movie about Facebook. No, no one expected the Facebook movie to be any good. No one expected it to be any good, so it's like totally against it, and... Everyone expected the internship. The Google movie. That fucking <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> um, I never watched it. Uh, I saw scenes. Uh, so, that's one of the reasons, but it was also... The same reason why I would have gone with Fight Club and Kevin in the Woods is because I'm kind of... I would want to watch a movie that kind of would connect to the fact that the world would be ending. Uh, so Fight Club has like that scene at the end where you have uh, Marlon, the narrator, holding hands as like you see these buildings crash down. Which is absolutely confused, but again, we'll have a That's not discussion the point. later. I, like, I also... Doesn't make sense with the rest of the movie that came before it, but alright. I don't want to watch, like, I could, if I were to choose one last movie, I could go and be like, oh, I'm going to watch Citizen Kane, one of the best movies ever made, or I can, I love Citizen Kane, but yeah. I can, or I can watch um, something a little more lighthearted, something a little more easier to swallow, something yeah. more, more fun. I so- guess it's where I had so much trouble is that, yeah, there's a crap ton of movies I'd want to watch before I die, right? Like, I Heart Huckabees is one of my absolute favorite movies, but... I so desperately want to tie the thematics of the film to the idea that humanity is ending. Yeah. And I'm ending as a conscious being. And that's kind of... And I, thought, I just thought No Country for Men are took perfectly time. Have you seen Cabin in the Woods? Yes. Multiple times. And I love so, it. So, uh, Cabin in the Woods, you, at, like in the final sequences, you have the, the two friends who are constantly fighting for their, for their survival, which then ends up being the reason that the world ends. Yeah, ultimately, they essentially, because of they refused to sacrifice themselves. Yeah. The demon, or what is it? The fucking Titan. The god. Oh. It's almost like a Cthulian. It's weird because it, it's also it, it. The movie's meta, so it's kind of us. It's the audience. Yeah. But the audience. Kills Anyways, them. they accept their fate. They accept and their, their death, death, and then there's uh, then they have that. I, I think it's a. Uh, John Carpenter's the thing, like homage, where they just kind of like sit down and accept it. Yeah. They, uh, well, with the thing, it's more like 
oh, fuck, you'll just never know the person beside you, right? Well, yeah, but there, it, it is a reference to it, but it's just like, they're just like, well, the world's ending, and they just sit down, they're like, yeah. fuck it, pretty <laughs> much. Uh, not anything more they can do. There's nothing they can do, and then, like, almost immediately after, you got the giant hand that, like, breaks through where they are and assumingly rips the world I apart. I wish the hand didn't look so, like, humanistic. It was more of, like, an otherworldly thing. Yeah, if only, but... Minor. That's why I think right. it more is like Kronos, a Titan, or some shit than some Cthulian or Lovecraftian. I keep saying Cthulian, Lovecraftian being. Um. So, so that's that was another option, but I think Social Network. Uh, the ending might have been something. Maybe something I would have like preferred how to go. Like you're, like you talking about how. No Country for Old Men ends like smash, a, cut a, a smash cut to black and it's like super sudden and you kind of don't see it. Well, yeah, it's just before he's talking about his dreams of how he's in his dreams, he's on his way to do something, but then the dream ends, right? Because yeah. that's life. You're doing things, but then you die and leave all these things. Oh, fuck, I can't remember the word. I've been struggling to think of the word. Loose ends is the closest I can get to it. Errands of fuck, I don't know. You leave all these loose ends when you die, right? And right. You'll just never, you never tie them up because that's life. It goes on without you. And so that was appropriate. But I, for social network, I feel like the ending's a great commentary on modern society and how you can be so distant from the people next to you. Well, there's the the point of the reason why I'm choosing see it how is how it ties into the apocalypse. <laughs> In the opening of the film. Uh, you've got Zuckerberg and Albright uh, sitting in the bar and they're talking and then they end up breaking up. Yes. Right. And that's kind of like, and then from there he ends up making Face Mash, right? Uh, which eventually kind of is the beginning of his code that ends up becoming Facebook. Uh, and that's how like jump starts everything. And then they go right back to it with the end of the film where uh, Rashida Jones' character asks him to go to lunch, I believe. And he's like, oh, I've got more important things to do or something along the lines of that. And he just opens up his laptop, goes on Facebook. Sends her a friend request. Sends her a friend request. And then just press, just keeps pressing refresh, seeing, waiting yeah. for it to happen. Because he's so desperate for a connection, right? And he, he's, it's almost, he can't get it in his real life. And so he almost uses Facebook as a cipher. Or, a cipher? Is that the right word? Anyway, as a surrogate or whatever. To, for that he's looking for that connection and I don't know if what you're saying is ultimately at the end of the pox you just want someone to go out with you or what if that was the case I'd go with uh, seeking a friend for the end of the world which, which is I I told I asked this question to a few of my a few of my friends at work and I got three people answering with this all movie independent of each other just in case you heard that or us talking, uh, they're watching a soccer game downstairs, and it's getting quite lively. So I'm sorry if you hear some sporadic cheering throughout. Um, so this or booing. This was the film that like three of my coworkers like all turned to each other and were just like, no, this is the movie to go out with. So I guess if three people, the movie that no one saw, <laughs> few of us saw it. Uh, <laughs> Steve Carell's in it. Uh, Kira Knightley's in it, right? Yeah. It's nice. It's bittersweet. It's a. It's a. It's, it's a nice way to go out. It's kind of the reverse of the smash. It's almost too literal for me. I like. No yeah, country, it's no just, country fold man is more. It's a, tangentially it's connected. Verse minus the smash cut to black. They have like a like a slow flip fade to white, which they they like also you also play around and can see in like six feet under. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Total Recall. Hey, that's a great movie. Don't don't this the original. Don't, yeah. This oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the remake for a second. Why would I ever talk about the fucking remake? <laughs> no one is talking about the remake. The Arnold Schwarzenegger, Paul Verhoeven one. Of I haven't course. seen that one. Yeah. Oh my god, do it. It's amazing. Um. So I don't. I don't know if if I could maybe like go TV with the smash cut to or the fade to white. I might watch the finale of Six Feet Under. Yeah. I haven't seen Six Feet Under, so I can't say. Oh, you should. Yeah, you should watch Total Recall. Right? Less of a time investment than Six Feet Under. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Any other reason you'd want Social Network in your... I don't think so. I think that covers most okay. of it. Alright. Well, what's in your film queue for the week? This week, I'm probably going to try and watch Road Warrior. And mm-hmm. in the theaters, I'm going to try and catch Insidious Chapter 3. Insidious Chapter 3. Nice. Uh, I haven't seen the second one yet. And she, Rose Byrne is in the third one, right? In the second one? In the third one. The new one. I don't know if she's in the third one. Because it's a prequel. I'll watch anything with Rose Byrne in it. It's a prequel. So <laughs> it's a prequel? So just watch the second one. James Wan's still on behind that? James Wan's not. He he, he produced it. Uh, and Leigh Whannell, I believe his name is, uh, is directing it, who uh, wrote the previous two. He also wrote uh, many of the Saw franchise. And pretty much everything uh, James Wan has done horror-related uh, or yeah, horror related. Like, cause I think he he didn't touch uh, Fury Seven. But other than that, he's been like they've been working side by side. All right. Anything else? Um. Yeah, at the TIFF theater, they're they're like showing some older films. So, um, watching Singing in the Rain, and then you'll be I guess spoiler on your end, but you'll be joining me for Lawrence of Arabia. Will I? <laughs> I, I, I want to see Lawrence Warrior uh, in the theater. That's a Saturday, right? You're going to have to remind me. Text me on fucking Wednesday. I'll remind you. Uh, and then I'll also be watching uh, Inside Out for next yeah, week. for next week's episode where we will be asking what's... Uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll do it. Uh, what's our favorite trilogy of all time? Not best trilogy because that's Godfather, which... This guy hasn't seen. So what's in your film queue? Yeah, guys. Okay. Seen the first one. <laughs> Actually, it's pretty much the same from last week because it's been a busy week and I haven't been able to watch the movies I've been wanting to watch. But I will finish the Marx Brothers collection finally with Duck Soup, and I'm super excited because I've loved every single one of their movies. Um, although I have added a couple films to the queue, which I'll probably still have to watch next week when we do the next episode, which is the two Todd Salons movies, Welcome to the Dollhouse and Happiness. And, yeah, we'll see what I can watch. Oh, and I'm also going to be doing research for a future episode. We'll keep that secret, so hopefully you guys get curious. Oh. Uh, we can, we'll, we'll it's going to be our first guest episode, which is yeah. super fun. So, anyway. Guests, plural. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we'll, like, we'll let you guys know about that one when we talk about what's in our queue next week. Yeah, well, that's when we'll reveal what the guest episode is about. Because we're dedicating the entire episode to the question. We're not doing a movie of the week that week just because there's nothing really strong coming out that week. We are we're making a statement with <laughs> for after Inside Out, there are two we think two weeks where we're gonna make a statement about what we want to talk about. <laughs> uh, pretty much. So that week of the twenty sixth, 
Ted 2 comes out and we don't I might see it in the theater I haven't seen the first one I have no inclination to watch them so. I might see it in the theater but I don't I don't think it's going to fascinate me enough to warrant a conversation yeah. uh, and the week after that is Terminator and Magic Mike XXL and Terminator looks like a fucking mess <laughs> Hopefully it's not. Yeah, please let it be good. And I'll still probably watch it, but we're going to talk Magic Mike. Because the first Magic Mike is actually a great movie. Steven Soderbergh, one of my favorites. I recently watched it during breakfast. (laughs) All right. I was just watching it on Netflix, and my my mom and my brother, like, walked over my shoulder during, like... If any was any other scene, they would have not even paid attention. But no, of course, it had to the be the dick pumping scene. No, it was just one of like the like the the stripping scenes, and they all just kind uh. of stopped and they're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I'll have to tell when we get to Magic Mike Double XL. I'll have to tell my story of when I watched Magic Mike because it's pretty great. <laughs> anyway, um, so next week, favorite trilogy of ours, which I guess is a more personal question. Uh, Till then, you can consider the question, but consider this week's question as well. Let us know what your uh, last film before the apocalypse would be. I'm Jeffrey Pedernera. And I'm Andres Guzman. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on iTunes Oh, yeah, we're on iTunes now. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is going to have to be next week's amendments again. (laughs) You Uh, almost missed that. I can't believe I almost signed off before telling you. We are on iTunes, so find us on iTunes. Subscribe, like, and all the comments, all that good stuff. Please. It helps us out. We want to know people are listening. No one's listening. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Oh, thank you, Mom, Dad, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, so please check our Facebook. I forgot to mention, where can we find you, Andres? Um, on Twitter and on Letterboxd, B-O-X-D, uh, at Pocket Writer. There you go. You have a nice cohesive thing. I am Jeff underscore Ped on Twitter and just Jeff Ped on Letterboxd. So, so yeah, till then, consider the question. I'm Jeffrey Penanera. And I'm Andres Guzman. This is Film Q, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.